Good morning, City Church. How are you guys doing? You guys doing well? Good morning to you. Um, I know that we bring much with us, and I've talked about this uh, in the past. We bring much with us this morning when we come to church. Um, you know, our, our family and even dear friends of ours have been dealing with family in the hospital, uh, ER, and friends of ours are coming down uh, in a couple of days now. We were going to meet them in Louisville, but now they're coming down to us because his grandpa just died. Uh, and some of us who spent a bunch of time with family, that's a good thing. And for some of us, uh, that created a lot of drama. Uh, so I don't want to make light of that as we come to church on Sunday morning following Christmas. Um, so let's pray just so that we can still our minds, still our spirits, and hopefully get something out of uh, the Lord's Word this morning. Because it's very easy amidst all of the chaos and the concerns to sort of just be lost in the inertia of the season. Uh, so let's pray and then we will get started. Uh, Lord, we are thankful for uh, today, just the gift of life that you have given all of us. Uh, some of us are well, some of us are not well, uh, but for those who are hearing this, we're all here. Uh, so we are thankful that you've given us uh, another day, um, and in the hearing and the preaching of your word, you have given us uh, another opportunity to hear what is true uh, and to respond to it appropriately. Uh, so this morning as we consider the gift that keeps on giving, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us clear out our minds and clear out our hearts uh, of all of the junk that so easily uh, ties them up, whether that's uh, concerns or fears or anxieties or, quite frankly, whether that's lunch as soon as I'm done preaching. Uh, we pray that you would make room in our hearts and in our minds uh, this morning so that we can hear from you. Uh, that we will benefit from it, that the people around us will benefit from it, and that you will receive glory. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, so, we're going to be talking this morning about the gift that keeps on giving. And I'm going to back this up because I get kind of live up here, so I'm not going to bump into that. Uh, and we are just out of Christmas, as I'm sure that all of you know. Again, that could have been a good time or a bad time. But I trust because we're out of Christmas that, that hopefully uh, we still have gifts on our minds. So I'm trying to tap into that vein. Uh, and I bet some of you are even wearing or using your gift this morning. Uh, whether that's a nice piece of jewelry or a fresh pair of sneakers. Dad, maybe you have a nice tie. Did any, does anyone still do that to get ties for Dad? No? Okay. And then maybe even some of you are listening to this sermon, or you guys will listen to this sermon uh, on the City Church app on your new iPhone or iPad or iPod. Do they even make those anymore? So we, we have our gifts with us, or maybe we're using our gifts, uh, and gifts are a wonderful way for us to communicate that we care about people, that we love people. And America loves gifts. I mean, don't we? We love gifts. A lot of people say that America has taken the true meaning of Christmas and replaced it with consumerism. According to the National Retail Federation, this year, from Thanksgiving Thursday to Cyber Monday, in those five days, at brick-and-mortar stores and then online retailers, how much do you think was spent? Throw out a number. Five, how much? Five billion let me get another guess. A billion dollars a day, he says. How much do you think was spent in those five, five days? 
Don't be afraid to shout out in church now. Come on. Two billion? Two billion. One more guess. Give me one more from this side. Three billion. Okay. You guys are a wild group this morning. Okay, so in those five days, Thanksgiving Thursday, uh, Cyber Monday, this year alone in those five days, 50.9 billion dollars was spent just this year in those five days, which unfortunately is actually down from last year's spending. Last year's spending in those five days, 2013, 57 billion dollars, which was down just a bit from 2012 at 59.1 billion dollars, dude, in five days. Mercy. So we can get overwhelmed by those numbers, but what I want to think about in light of that spending is, is two things. One, America loves gifts, like I said. And two, the value of a gift has a lifespan, There's a lifespan to it, right? Which is why we buy new gifts for the same people year after year, right? I mean, can you imagine waking up on on Christmas morning and gathering the children or your loved one, your wife, your husband, your girlfriend, whatever it is, you gather around the tree and instead of giving presents, you just give each other reminders. Can you imagine that? Sweetheart, I love you so much. Remember, last year I gave you a very special sweater. Merry Christmas. We don't do that, right? Because gifts have a lifespan. And I'm sure that that sweater was very special, but if you're honest, that junk cost you $29.99, and you bought it on Christmas Eve, and you were lucky to get it wrapped up and delivered to your husband. And even if you paid more, you didn't pay everything. And even if you paid everything... Your gift was not perfect. Eventually it'll break down or the tie will get a snag in it. The electronic will, well, I'm working on this iPad this morning. I, I, I swear, at some point Apple outdates their hardware. Do you guys think that with the software, my device becomes unusable? So at, at some point our gifts, because they're flawed, um, are not enough. Which are the two fundamental differences between the gifts that we give to communicate our love to people and the gift that God has given to communicate his love to us. The differences are that God spared no expense and that his gift is perfect. Those are two very distinct differences between the gifts we give to communicate our love and the gift that God has given to communicate his love. So the question is, what is the gift of God? And I invite you guys to flip over on your little outline, and we don't have much room, but if you have a pen, uh, or if you have a, a, a smartphone, a dumb phone, if you can put a message in there, take a note, follow along with me, because I'm, I'm speaking about the gift that keeps on giving, uh, but I'm going to toss in several pieces of scripture uh, that would benefit you if you wrote down, knew what it was, and you could follow up with it after this. So, what is the gift of God? That's the question that we're going to consider this morning. And Romans 6.23, it's a very popular verse, but that's what presents the gift of God to us. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I would ask if you're familiar with a couple of these verses this morning, uh, don't allow yourself to glaze donut over it. Okay, really look on to the language and let's learn something. 
So I want to draw our attention to the juxtaposition between these two ideas, wages of sin and free gift of God. We want to be thinking about those two juxtaposed ideas. So we deal with wages of sin will be on your left. Uh, The free gift of God will be on your right. Just thinking about wages of sin. Wages literally means uh, pay or allowance. The work of sin, the labor of sin earns the wage of death, an eternal death. So there's a transaction here, an activity on behalf of both parties, on behalf of the worker and the payer, or the employee and the employer. So you must complete your work to get a paycheck. Isn't that right? Isn't that how it works? You guys got to go to work to get a check, right? And if you got kids and your family's coming over for Christmas and your house is a mess, you say, sweetheart, I have some chores for you to do. If your kids don't do the chores, you won't pay them allowance, right? So you have to put in the work in order to get the reward. You work to earn. And sin is that similar way that we work and we get a reward for it. And interestingly, Christianity says that there are two aspects to sin. There's a passive aspect and an active aspect. So we passively inherit the reward of Adam's sin. And some of us, I mean, some of my friends who aren't Christians, they say, that is so stupid. This guy lived all these years ago, apparently, ran around naked, and he ate an apple, and now I'm going to hell for it. And I hear that. I really do. I hear that idea because all of us want to be independent and make our own decisions and be responsible for ourselves. And if someone causes us unnecessary care, we say, well, what's up with that? So I I, I really hear that people cannot appreciate that they are going to hell just because they're born in Adam's likeness. I get it. So that's the passive nature of sin. But the active nature is that whether we get a couple days or weeks or many years, eventually we are going to act like Adam did. We are going to sin. So whether you get the reward from your passive inheritance of it or your active participation in it, nonetheless, sin earns the wage of death. And now we'll consider the free gift of of God. And that's distinctly difference between wage of sin. So in a free gift, there is no cost, no labor. There's not an exchange. There's not a barter system. You don't buy one and get one free. For a gift to truly be a gift, it necessarily requires no upfront cost, no maintenance cost, And no estate tax, right? No death tax. I mean, they get you coming in, they get you going out. That's not how a gift is. It necessarily requires nothing from the jump, nothing in the middle, and nothing at the end. And I'm so thankful that the scripture reiterates this language, this free gift language, because there's such a prevalent notion that the gift of God is not actually a gift. Because we so often think of God like we think of Santa Claus, But God is not Santa. He's not a mythical, moral marshal that's kind of perusing around and seeing who's good and seeing who's bad and giving certain people gifts and the bad ones he doesn't give gifts to. The free gift of God is much different than Santa Claus. But I want to think about God as we go over these familiar verses. And you guys tell me, or you can sing along. I'm a terrible singer. But let's go over these verses real quick. You better watch out. 
You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Why is that? Because Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's going to find out. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. My wife and I don't have children. uh, But it's fascinating to watch parents sort of taunt their children with this idea of Santa Claus. Uh, And they're trying to to dictate their morality or their behavior with threats of such a benevolent being, right? I mean, when we think about Santa, you say, okay, Johnny, you better clean your room. Did you hear me, Johnny? You better clean your room or guess what? And this is what we're saying. This creepy, old, yet simultaneously ageless white man with a pot belly from a lifetime's diet of cookies and milk who globe trots around the world in one evening and creeps down chimneys and creeps up fire escapes. He's not going to come unless you clean your room, right? So we taught people with this idea of Santa Claus. He's going to give you a gift if you're good. If you're not, he's not coming. Uh, And that's how people think about God. And you might say, well, I don't agree with that. And you don't have to. Maybe I'm talking about other people. Maybe I'm not talking about you. I have a friend. Um, he went to prison for several years. And maybe I would say this. That's how people think about God on the street. That's how most people think about God. So my friend went to prison for several years. And while he was in prison, he did stuff that he's not proud of. And I'll never forget the months of a relationship that he and I had. And he would always tell me about prison. I mean... He spent almost two decades in prison. So he would kind of school me on it. And so the, the day that he finally confesses to me about the worst of the worst of what he did in prison, he goes on to tell me that God is going to make him walk the earth for eternity because his offense is so great. That there's no forgiveness for him because of how bad he is. And that is so different than what the scripture says about the free gift of God. But people think about God like they think about Santa Claus. He's not like Santa Claus. So let's consider three characteristics of God's gift. And then we'll consider three common concerns about God's gift. So the first characteristic, God's gift is free. Again, for a gift to be free, the recipient pays nothing. No upfront cost, no maintenance cost, no estate tax. But a gift is free costly. So someone has to pay for it. And you parents know that probably a little bit better than the kids do. Like that special sweater, right? Even though she bought it on the, the, the night before Christmas, it was twenty nine ninety nine, And unless she put it in her purse on the way out of the store, someone had to pay that twenty nine ninety nine, right? So if mom paid it, that's how dad got the gift free of charge because it was paid for. And this is exactly what God's gift is like simultaneously free to us and immensely expensive to him. To grasp the cost of his gift, we'll consider 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. You can jot that down and look at the context a bit later on. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, 
but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. God paid an immense cost to be able to offer this gift to all of us. And it's interesting that it's likened to not perishable things like silver and gold. And what do we value more than silver and gold? That's what our whole, well, at one point, our whole economy was structured on gold. So not with perishable things like that, but with the precious and priceless blood of the Messiah. God's gift is free because he paid the cost of the gift with his son's blood. To better understand the kind or type of giver that God is, let's consider what Jesus says. The disciples had just asked Jesus how to pray. And then he taught them how to pray in in, in the way that we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And after that, he tells them to continue to pray because the Lord cares for them. And we pick up here in Luke 11, 9. And Jesus says, I tell you, ask and it will be given. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, and if you're a dad this morning, honestly think about this question. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Hey, dad, I'm hungry. I want a fish. Okay, I'll go get it for you, son. Come back with a a snake, a serpent. And if he asks for an egg, who will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts for your children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is a giver of good gifts. And Jesus is illustrating that idea. We're all in sin in some capacity, even if we believe we're trapped in our bodies. So there's an aspect of sin that is present in all of our lives. So that kind of a person, that kind of a father... If your son, your daughter asks you for something good, you're not going to give them something evil even though you are evil. And God is so unlike us in that way in that he is holy and he is perfect and he is righteous. So how much better gift is he going to give us? How much more of a generous, kind, and compassionate giver is he than we are? God is a giver in addition to his holiness, in addition to his righteousness and his perfection. He desires to be sought after for gifts and for provision. In the same way, it gives a father much pleasure to meet the needs of his children on earth. I mean, me and my dad's relationship is weird. We'll just leave it at that. It's a weird relationship. But I know at any time, if I need something, I call my dad. He has got me. He has got me. So God is like that. He takes pleasure in providing for us. Go to God for provision. Experience him in that. So God's gift is free. That's the first characteristic of his gift. The second characteristic of his gift is that it is fixed. God's gift is fixed. Like any gift, we must receive it. Right? We get gifts on Christmas morning, and if we don't unwrap them, they just sit there, and it gets real awkward. So like any gift, we have to receive it. God's free gift of eternal life is no different. We only need to receive it once because it is fixed. Before someone believes that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, they do not and cannot have God's gift of eternal life. If you don't take it and unwrap it, you can't have it. And no gift can be earned or merited or worked for because if it is, then it's not a gift 
And that same idea applies to God's gift of eternal life. If we think by our religion or by our morality or by our behavior or being good for goodness sake, God will look on us and say, you are such a good person. Man, I just want to give you this gift because you're so good. We, we lose the proper thinking about God's gift. We can't work for it. We can't behave for it. We can't be so good that we get it and so bad that we don't get it. God's gift is free, available, and fixed to us in that we don't need to get it. And then when I'm bad, I lose it. And then when I'm good, I get it again. And then when I'm bad, I lose it. It's fixed. Thinking along this idea, 1 John Chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Take note of this. This letter is being written to Christians, people who believe that Jesus is the Christ. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. If you have believed that Jesus is the Savior, you have the gift of eternal life. Whether you believe 20 seconds ago or 20 years ago, whether you've lived a life of obedience or a life of disobedience, if you have believed that Jesus is the Christ, you have the gift of eternal life. And interestingly, Jesus has this fascinating conversation with a very religious man. And within this conversation is probably the most popular scripture that exists. Uh, We'll pick up in that at John chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus says to this very religious man, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And that reference to what Moses did, uh, Moses lifted up the serpent, is important to understand when Jesus is trying to communicate to this religious man what the gift of God is like. It's in Numbers 20, if you want to jot it down and look at it over lunch that I know half of y'all are thinking about. When is this dude going to be done? I'm so hungry. So, God takes Israel out of Egypt, right? The Exodus period. Egypt is fumbling around in the woods, in the wilderness rather. And at some point, they start to curse God and curse Moses. I mean, that's a bad look. When someone loves you enough to tear waters apart and allow you to walk through by the million on dry ground, and then you're in the desert and you start thinking, hey man, that dude who just did that for us, that God who cared for us in that way, is now going to let us die. Out here in the desert. That's poor thinking. So those people start complaining about God and about Moses. And God sends venomous snakes into Israel. And they start biting the Israelites. And they're dying because they're venomous. Right? And then like most hard-headed people, when there's a repercussion to our wrong thinking, then we start to think it over. They say, oh no, Moses, we were wrong to speak out against God. Moses, we were wrong to speak out against you. Please pray to God so that we can be saved from these snakes. So Moses does that. God responds with such a weird response. He says, all right, take a stick. Craft a bronze snake and put the snake on top of the stick. I mean, can you imagine God telling you this? 
to help people out. Serpents are biting people and they're dying. And this is what God says. So put the snake on top of the stick, hold it up. And anyone who looks to that snake will be saved. They will have life. They will not die from the snake bite. So Moses does that. And then the people who are bitten by this deathly snake look to the snake and they have life. They do not die from the venom. And Jesus says that is how the gift of God works. The son of man must be lifted up like the serpent was lifted up. Not so that you can work real hard and then be saved. Not so you can do a bunch of stuff and then have life. But that you can put your trust on an object that is outside of you and have Life. That is how the gift of God works. And then following a conversation with the Jews who were pressing Jesus to tell them, hey man, are you the savior or not? He says, yo, I've already told y'all, you're not going to believe. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. God's gift is fixed. He guarantees it because he is greater than all. God's gift is free. God's gift is fixed. And thirdly, this third characteristic, and my wife said, what does that mean? That is so weird. You really need to clarify that. Uh, The third characteristic, God's gift is food. Free, fixed food. After Jesus fed the 5,000, you guys remember that? Broke the bread, cut up the fish, fed the 5,000. Well, they all go to sleep or whatever they do, and he withdraws and he goes up a hill, and then the disciples leave. I mean, how do you leave a miracle like that and forget the guy that just did the stuff with the bread and the fish? But they leave him on the shore. They hop in the boat. They peace out. How do you forget Jesus? Seriously. And Jesus crosses the sea. And by crosses, I mean he walks on water across the sea. That's crazy. We can't just go over that. And then the next day, the same people who had just ate of the fish and the bread, they hop in their boats. <laughs> They're not, you know, motor boats, so they probably got to like row over <laughs> like that. So they hop in their boats, maybe a little bit less excited, and then they make the voyage across the sea and they go to Jesus, right? They're bugging out because they just ate the food, the fish and the bread yesterday. And what Jesus says immediately to them, when they hit the shore, they're looking to him, they're going to him, they're pursuing him. John 6, 27 through 29, Jesus says to those men who sought him after eating that food, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The free gift of eternal life is food in that it nourishes, it feeds us. It gives us nutrition. It supplies our needs. It satisfies us. It sustains us. It gives us life. The gift that keeps on giving is this gift of eternal life and that forever we will be sustained by it. 
this sustenance, this substance is what Jesus is after when in the later part of John 6 he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It's the same idea that's captured in that old psalm, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's certainly theology and doctrine and study and intellectualism to the Christian faith. But I think it's pretty safe that any Christian will tell you about a relational aspect to their experience with God as well. Not only that God is good, but he's good to me. Not only that God loves, but he loves me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So, three characteristics of God's gift before we transition to the concerns about his gift. They are free. I'm sorry, it is free. It is fixed. And it is food. Now, I want to address three common concerns that I hear, and maybe I'm I'm not the only one, about that free gift of God. First, in light of that information, people often say, well, that gift is flippant. It's flippant. The concern is often summarized as cheap grace. Have you guys heard that phrase before? Cheap grace. Meaning, if nothing is required of the recipient, the gift is somehow less valuable. But remember, God's gift is priceless and it's perfect because he paid for it by the blood of his son. That's how he's able to give us that free gift. It's not flippant. He's done everything to provide it, but we want to work. We want to labor. We want a portion of the responsibility to rest on our shoulders. We want to do something. We want to do anything. Again, consider the question that Jesus was just asked. What must we do to be doing the works of God? I mean, if he was concerned about clarifying that for the sake of eternal life, men needed to do something other than believe, this would have been the prime time to clarify what that work was. Instead, he simply instructed The work of God is this, to believe in the name of his son. God's gift of eternal life in order to be free, fixed, and food necessarily requires that the recipients of his gift do nothing for it. We don't have to work for that gift. And now I want to say something in in passing because a lot of times people get tripped up on this. And we'll pull up a slide. Justification and sanctification. Right, And hopefully you follow along with me. But justification is the idea that is expressed here when we talk about eternal life. The gift of eternal life. Eternal life is synonymous with justification. So let's say that J word together on three. One, two, three. Justification. Very good. That's what we're talking about with eternal life. And justification is a $100 theological word that makes you feel good for spending a bunch of money to go to seminary, right? So it's a $100 theological word. And what it means is declared righteous. So we'll all stand before God, the judge in his court of law. And he will either slam down his gavel that we are righteous or that we are unrighteous. He will declare us righteous. He will declare us unrighteous. And the moment that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you are declared righteous, eternally righteous, not because of your work, not because of your behavior, but because of Christ's perfect work and because of Christ's perfect behavior. God sees you as his son. 
when you believe. But if you do not believe, you are declared unrighteous now and for eternity until you believe. So this is really interesting. As I was studying and thinking about this, let's not miss this. What that means is that you do not have to make a decision to be declared unrighteous. We are all declared unrighteous. But you do have to make a decision to be declared righteous. And that decision is to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior. And in addition to the gift of eternal life, in addition to justification, I want to talk about this thing called sanctification. Sanctification is what we do. Justification is what Jesus does. So eternal life deals with justification. Abundant life deals with sanctification. Jesus says that there's an opportunity for us to have eternal life. And he also says, John 10, 10, you guys probably know it. I've come that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. You may have it fully. Sanctification is another $100 theological word that means becoming more like Jesus. I want to read this directly, so forgive me for looking down here so long. Jesus is responsible for our justification. We are responsible for our sanctification. When we believe in Jesus, we are immediately and eternally justified. That is the free gift of God. But when we believe in Jesus, we are also given the offer to become sanctified or more like Jesus. That is why the offer of abundant life is different than the offer of eternal life. The gift of eternal life required Jesus' obedience to God The gift of abundant life requires our obedience to Jesus. If you break it all the way down and get real risky, especially at church on a Sunday morning, and Jeff might slap me on the wrist when he gets home, but he ain't here right now, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. You can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, your Savior, and be given the gift of eternal life and have that gift forever. And then you can live like an absolute hooligan, like an idiot, sinning every day of your life. And that gift will not be taken away from you. Because it's not about our work. It's about Jesus' work. Now what I would say is if you act like an idiot, and you sin, and you waste away your life, here's a couple things. You're not going to experience Jesus' offer of abundant life, number one. Two, you will destroy your witness and your opportunity to invite other people into the kingdom, for other people to know that God is good and that Jesus loves them. You'll destroy it. Therefore, God will not be glorified in your life. But nonetheless, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the gift of eternal life is yours forever, independent of your behavior after that choice. I'll let you know if Jeff slaps me on the wrist for that. So, God's gift is not flippant. It is free, it is fixed, and it is food. Secondly, people say that God's gift is foolish. And I would say that if you believe that or if you've heard that, the Apostle Paul agrees with you. He says that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. God's gift in the work and person of Jesus Christ is foolishness in regards to this world system. Because what the world system says is you have to go to work to get a check. You got to do your chores to get an allowance. You got to pay the $29.99 to give the sweater. 
You got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go to work. And I've heard this driving in the car with homies of mine. They'll see a homeless person out on the street. And what do they say? Get a job. Why? Because we think work fixes everything. If you just get a job, if you just get work, everything about your life is going to change. Completely disregarding the person's individual life, their circumstances, the system of America, all that stuff. Get a job, you bum. Our modern American perspective is built on free market, capitalistic, Darwinian survival of the fittest economics. And so we think about God like that. And we think about people like that. And the gospel is so contrary to that system. Because Jesus says you can have no part of my work, America. You cannot add anything to what I've completed. And that's why so many Americans struggle with actually believing that the gift of God is a gift because we don't get gifts. If you're going to get one free, you got to do what? Buy one first. If they're going to give you a coupon, you got to give an email address. We struggle. Gifts don't exist like that often in America. Lastly, God's gift is not fair. I hear that often when people who are a little bit down the line in their Christianity look back and they sort of criticize people who are not behaving or who are not being as obedient, who are not as mature, to look and say, well, I've been obedient, so I deserve this gift, and he's not being obedient, so he doesn't deserve this gift. Often God's gift is considered not fair. And Jesus teaches about this. He uses a parable to instruct on the kingdom of God. He likens the kingdom to a master who goes out and gets workers to work in his field. He gets the first group to come in and work, and they agree to do the work for a denarius. Then he gets the second group, the third group, the fourth group, the fifth group at the 11th hour, and they all come in and work at his field. And then when the work is done, he calls all of them to himself. First, he calls the fifth group at the 11th hour, and he gives them a denarius. And then all the way down to the first group that's been working all day long. And he gives them a denarius. And they get mad. They get upset. Even though they agreed to do the work for a denarius, they say, we're better than these people. We've been working all day long. We deserve more than this. And it's so fascinating. Jesus says about this master communicating this parable to tell about the kingdom of God. He says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? That is so fascinating for us who are believers in Jesus. Who, who have been, who have sought to be obedient to him. Do we look back on foolish young believers, immature believers, believers that are not connected to a church body or a fellowship? And do we begrudge that in their disobedience, God still secures their eternal life? I think it's really easy because... I've been doing something. I deserve more. They're not equal to me. I'm better than them. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So in conclusion, let's not miss kind of the main points here. The three concerns of God's gift are that it is flippant, it is foolish, and it is not fair. And I don't want to miss this, especially in the Christmas season. I know we're kind of out of it and we're coming to a conclusion here. Uh, But in Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 14, this caught me as my wife and I were reading it on Christmas morning. And I'll just read it to you and then we'll pray to conclude. Uh, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with them an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God is gracious. He is kind. He has completed the entire work that is necessary for our salvation in his son. He has taken on our stripes. He's taken on the wrath that our disobedience requires in his court of law. And if we believe, we receive the gift of eternal life. And because it is a gift, that is the only way that these angels can declare that it is good news of great joy for all people and that God is pleased with men. God has made himself pleased with men in the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and soon coming return of his son. Will you please believe that Jesus is the Christ, receive the gift of eternal life, and choose to be obedient so that you can enjoy abundant life? Let me pray. Uh, Lord God, we don't want to miss the singular gift that you alone can offer and do offer. The gospel is scandalous, and it is against what this whole entire world system says and does and acts and thinks. And so often we look at the gospel through that lens of this world, and we say, well, and we make adjustments to it, and we make concessions, and we make additions. But God, you are gracious. You are able to do with what is yours as you please. Allow us to not begrudge your generosity. So Lord, I pray that if those uh, who are in this building or who are hearing this podcast have not believed on the Lord Jesus, that they will do so and receive the gift of eternal life, that the church will surround them, that will seek to engage fellowship with people and encourage folks to be obedient to Jesus, to experience abundant life and for the good of our city and ultimately for your glory. Thank you for your gift of your son that ensures our eternal life and gives us security and assurance that we cannot find in ourselves, that we cannot find in this world, that we cannot find apart from you. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.